Welcome to Whores Talk Whore. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Whore. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. If you're a regular listener, you may have heard one of our hodgepodge episodes where basically we just talk about random horror, paranormal, or true crime news, and usually also whatever movies and shows that we've been watching. Well, Spencer never really liked that name and thought we could do better, so we changed it to Hodgepodge of Horror. He still thought we can come up with something more creative. On our last Hodgepodge of Horror episode, we put out an invite to have you guys come up with suggestions for a new name for Hodgepodge of Horror. So we did receive some suggestions. Uh, here's a list of some of the uh, possibilities <laughs> that were given to us. Hodgepodgepalooza. Horror is Hodgepodge Horror. Hodgepodge Smodgepodge. A funny thing happened on the way to the hodgepodge. That's kind of cute, actually. It's very long, though. Uh-huh. Um, cutting room floor and hack and slash. But our new friend and honorable whore actress, Carrie Weeder, who we interviewed on our podcast a few episodes ago about her new horror fiction podcast in another room. And by the way, go listen to that episode and then go check out her new podcast if you haven't already because it's great and um yeah it's so it's so good um but not only did she come up with a title to replace hodgepodge of horror but she also came up with a jingle as well so here is the debut of carrie's jingle on our very first official tidbits of terror episode Tidbits of terror, terror, tidbits, tidbits of terror, terror, tidbits, rawr, 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 rawr. <laughs> So there you have it. There is our new Tidbits of Terror jingle, 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 jingle. Uh, thank you. Carrie, we love it. We appreciate it. And also she wanted us to record. She wanted us to actually take video of ourselves listening to the jingle for the very first time. Which we did. Which we did. And so there's a video of Spencer and I listening to it. And then there's a video of Mindy listening to it at her apartment. And we sent them to Carrie. We both had different, really different reactions. Mindy's reaction was quite different than mine um but if you want to see our reactions we are going to be putting those videos up on patreon uh for our exclusive it's going to be an exclusive post uh so yeah you can go there and and check those out i will say that both of our reactions were that of delight even though mine looks I actually emailed Carrie personally to be like, I know that I'm not laughing and screaming, but that's only because I was frozen (laughs) with delight that I couldn't even react. So yeah, watch for those Patreon folks. And thanks again for the jingle, Carrie. Oh, Carrie, we love you. Woo woo. All right. So first up, I'm going to be talking about a movie that I never heard before uh, two weeks ago. When Spencer found this article for me from The Ringer written by Brian Raff. Raftery. Uh, it's <laughs> the article is titled. Sorry, the article is titled "What Do George Clooney, Nazareth, and a 16-Foot Mechanical Bear Have in Common?" The answer is Grizzly 2, a bonkers, unfinished 80s monster movie filmed in Hungary that you've almost certainly never seen. I know I have not. Although Spencer and I did watch 
the original Grizzly. Uh, I'll get to that in just a second. So this movie has George Clooney, rock stars, Nazareth from Scotland, Laura Dern, Charlie Sheen, uh, some other actually um, pretty well-known actors, uh, some fearless filmmakers who got this movie made after decades of this movie being in obscurity. And it is finally being resurrected for the world to see this year, but how and why. Uh, So this is a very, very long and fascinating article that I basically abbreviated. So I'm going to give a synopsis now, although the synopsis is still kind of long. And I'm sorry for those of you who can hear me in the background, but I can't stop laughing. This is too good. Okay, sorry. Tell us, Sharon. Tell us all about the glory of this. All right. So let's backtrack a little bit before Grizzly 2 Revenge was made. (laughs) First came Grizzly from 1976, which is about an 18-foot-tall, limb-tearing grizzly bear who chews up tourists that are uh, camping out in the woods. Grizzly actually turned out to be a bigger box office success than anyone would have thought and earned $30 million worldwide. So because of that shocking box office success... (laughs) of Grizzly, it led to a dispute between the film's creative team and also Edward L. Montoro, its distributor. Montoro was a legendary slippery character with a curious backstory. Depending on the source, he'd either been disfigured in the late 60s in a plane crash or an early 70s car accident. Either way, the legend went, he awoke with a new face and a desire to produce quickie genre films. Despite Grizzly's huge haul, Montoro insisted that the movie hadn't turned a profit. I had to sue him to collect, says co-screenwriter David Sheldon. We were not in a very good relationship. Despite their poor relationship, Montoro approached Sheldon about working on a sequel and Sheldon said yes, but only on one condition, that this time around he would get a chance to direct since the original director, William Girdler, uh, he died in a helicopter accident in the Philippines less than two years after Grizzly's release. Okay, I don't mean to make light of anyone's tragedy, but is this real? <laughs> like, this story already does not sound real. <laughs> Honestly, when I was reading this article, I was like, wow, the making of this movie... Should be a movie. It should be a movie. <laughs> and uh, when I got to the very, very end of the article, that's exactly what the author... Oh said a movie about this could give the disaster artist a run for its money sheldon and his wife actress and writer joan mccall who she was actually in the original grizzly uh, they got started on a screenplay they came up with a story about a mama bear who after the death of her cub seeks revenge by feeding off tourists rangers and poachers before finally making her way to a massive outdoor music festival (laughs) uh So Montoro was given a year to put Grizzly 2 into production, but instead he allegedly embezzled more than $1 million from his own company, then vanished, and apparently has not been seen since the mid-80s. Shut your mouth. (laughs) This isn't real. I I mean, it does sound so made up, but apparently this is all facts and nothing but the facts. With the Grizzly 2 script in limbo, a business associate introduced Sheldon and McCall to an upstart film producer named Joseph Ford Proctor, who just worked on a comedy with Jerry Lewis. Proctor had access to money and was eager to make Grizzly 2. He also promised Sheldon that he would get his chance to direct it. 
Proctor ended up contacting Susan Nagy, who represented the Hungarian film industry. Nagy's job was to persuade Western filmmakers to come to Hungary to make their films by convincing them of the benefits of shooting in her home country, which in recent years had become more hospitable and affordable. Nagy flew to Chicago to meet Proctor. She was eager to land a movie that would, quote, have some buzz. Over their dinner together, she outlined how Proctor could save money in Hungary while he detailed his showbiz career. Nagy said, I was new in the country. I took everything he told me, his references, his producer's experience at face value. I trusted him blindly. Proctor spoke vaguely of his collaboration with Jerry Lewis, What Proctor didn't mention was that he was on the run from the comedian who believed Proctor had scanned him out of more than $1 million. So yes, this is the second person involved with this film accused of stealing $1 million. (laughs) Maybe this film was not meant to be, or maybe it was. This film has like curse written all over it. I love it. So Proctor wanted to begin filming as soon as possible and offered Nagy Nagy a handful of horror scripts demanding that she commit to one. He pushed, pushed, pushed. You have to make a decision now, she recalls. I picked the Grizzly movie because it was the most difficult and I wanted to do something special. A horror movie featuring a real life rock festival would certainly get Hollywood's attention, she said. So before George Clooney was a big Hollywood star, he was a struggling actor in his 20s with a gorgeous mullet. (laughs) Since horror movies were always hiring and looking for attractive, affordable new talent to kill off, Clooney was cast as one of several boombox blasting hikers who gets drunk, makes out, and screams in confused terror while they're being devoured by a huge grizzly bear. Awesome. Laura Dern, who is also in the film, had been performing since she was a child, and Charlie Sheen, who is cast along with them, had essentially been drop-kicked into acting. (laughs) The then 17-year-old had recently gotten to an altercation with a high school teacher over a bad grade, and the fallout cost Sheen a baseball scholarship and prompted him to rethink his job prospects. That's odd. I can't imagine that happening with Charlie Sheen. (laughs) Controversy with Charlie Sheen? In high school, no less. Grizzly 2 would give Clooney and Sheen their big screen debuts and earn Sheen his SAG card. It would also serve as Dern's first movie since she emancipated herself from her parents at the age of 16, which I didn't know she emancipated herself from them. But uh, yeah, this article is full of new information that I was not aware of. Uh, Clooney, Dern, and Sheen would ultimately appear just briefly in Grizzly 2, Apparently, the most notable VIP in this movie is a character named Bouchard, who's a French-Canadian grizzly hunter whose wife and daughters were supposedly killed by a crazed grizzly. Of course. Bouchard is played by none other than actor John Rhys Davies, whose most notable role to me is Gimli from the Lord of the Rings movies, but other people might know him from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Bad dates. Yes, yes. And when we saw Sean Astin talk that time at the horror festival, what did he say he kept saying to him while they were filming Lord of the Rings? He kept saying like, okay, Indy, or whatever, like with his accent, I can't do it. Something like that, yeah. Anyway, sorry, keep going. Uh, I digress. That's okay. (laughs) Um, Before leaving for Budapest to start filming, Proctor had secretly hired Andre... uh, 
pardon me if I mispronounce the last name, Sats. I'm just going to say Sats as the movie's director, despite his lack of feature film experience. Sheldon didn't learn he had been replaced until the Grizzly 2 team began arriving in Hungary without him. Boo. With Sheldon out of the picture, Grizzly 2 was about to become a very different film. Suzanne Nagy was in Hungary securing a location for the big beast festival where they would film the big concert scene featuring the fictitious synth pop band named the predator who would don rococo costumes while playing melodramatic tunes the other beast festival acts were actually real bands that featured toto coelho i'm i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that correctly but it's an all-female english new wave combo known for its oddball, delightful 1982 anthem, I Eat Cannibals. Sure. I feel like we should download some of their music. I Um, feel like these people should have heard of Coachella, and this should have been made much later (laughs) in life. Sorry. Um, And the, The evening's headliner was Scottish hard rockers Nazareth. What? <laughs> Nazareth wouldn't appear in the finished film, but they did help lure the nearly 50,000 fans slash extras needed for Grizzly 2's concert scenes. Nagy found an ideal venue for the concert in a vast park about 10 miles outside of Budapest. It was perfect for a large crowd, very safe, very controlled, very rural. Only one problem. Nagy soon learned that the spot was very much overseen by the Russian army. Tanks and bunkers were scattered around the property, which apparently served as a training camp. But Nagy was able to talk her way into securing a permit to film the concert scene there. Holy shit, this movie and the production of it was the original Fire Festival. I love it. I still have to watch that documentary. Oh, girl, we got combos to have. Keep going. Which documentary? Both, but specifically the Netflix, I digress. So once she finalized the concert site, she turned her attention to the fake killer bear. Actually, three bears. They'd been designed by Nick Malley. Uh, I think it's Malley, an Emmy-nominated prosthetics makeup and effects artist who helped bring to life some of the Mos Eisley Cantina creatures for 1977 Star Wars, as well as several ambitious aliens in 1980s the Empire Strikes Back, including Yoda himself. Mally and his crew would spend five months working on Grizzly 2's trio of beasts. One was an eight-foot-tall, semi-animatronic bear costume that, when combined with miniatures, would appear to be twice its size on screen. The other two bears were more elaborate. One was a 16-foot-tall giant puppet with armatures that could be controlled by crew members. Another beast was a half-sized mechanical bear torso to be used for close-ups, and they'd all been adorned with real animal fur. I think the rumor was it was yak fur, for those of you who are curious. (laughs) Um, Thank you. (laughs) For all you fur aficionados out there. Grizzly 2's first night of filming was the concert scene, complete with 40 to 50,000 fans, dazzling lights, dizzying leotards, and scorching flames that shot from the top of the Beast Festival stage. The giant grizzly even made an appearance during a scene in which the animal crashes through the stage and is ensnared in lights and wires. That is rock and roll, motherfucker. (laughs) But the very next day, after only one day of filming, Proctor told Nagy and her husband that there was not enough money to continue making Grizzly 2. And also, he was flying out of Hungary in a half an hour. (laughs) 
is not going good. While Nagy sat on her bed, stunned after hearing this news, a short while later, her phone rang. She rushed for it, hoping Proctor would be on the line, having somehow found more money. Instead, it was an American surgeon who was visiting the Grizzly 2 set, apparently at Proctor's request. I came to invest in the movie, the stranger told Nagy. If the bear is real, if the concert is real, if the movie is real, then I will invest. Why would a wealthy American surgeon come to Hungary to scope out a low-budget horse sequel? How had Proctor never mentioned this mystery investor? And what were the odds that the doctor would step in the exact same day that Proctor bailed out? The whole situation, Nagy said, was really unbelievable. But almost immediately after securing this new investor, production fell into chaos. Nagy found herself sorting through paperwork, Proctor left behind, full of shady contracts and unpaid debts. He was making deals all over the place, she said. She learned that Proctor signed two deals with the director, Andre Satz, one for $75,000 and the other for $250,000, the latter of which Nagy alleges Proctor took for himself. Production also owed money to several Hungarian extras who had been hired without authorization, Hungarian crew members resented Nagy for suddenly being in charge because they were not used to dealing with women. The director had never handled a project this large and complex and had no idea how to manage it. And then there were the Grizzlies themselves, which decades later, there are still debates over whether or not the bears were actually fully functional. Holy fucking shit. This is amazing. (laughs) But Sheen, Clooney, and Dern were probably the most fortunate members of the Grizzly 2 team because their scenes took place without the rest of the cast. So they were spared much of the film's day-to-day drama. They were also allowed to go off on their own. Dern said, It was the craziest time. I'm 16 years old, and it's six weeks in Budapest at the exact second communism is ending. One night, the three of us were trying to remember the name of the boss on the Jetsons. We pooled our money together from our per diem to make an international call to a friend because it was just making us insane. It might be $120, but we have to know. And the answer, of course, was Mr. Spacely. Dude, I love Laura Dern. (laughs) They didn't have uh, cell phones back then. I know. No Googling. That's so funny. Something that you can find in like two seconds today. They had a spend $120 to make an international call home to the States. And pool. It's kind of sad that they had to pool their per diem for 120 bucks. That was a lot of beer money in Budapest back then. For sure. Yeah, they didn't get to have a meal that day. <laughs> oh God, but they knew the answer to, to the boss on the Jetsons, I guess. After initial production on Grizzly 2 wrapped in the fall of 83, Nagy flew to France in a state of panic. The filmmakers had captured a few hours of concert footage, some steady cam shots of fleeing victims, and lots of scenes in which the characters talk about the terrifying Grizzly, but the bear itself was still missing. There were literally only seconds of the bear actually being on screen. Not long after returning to the UK, Nick Malley, the creator of the Bears, who wanted them back after production wrapped, was told that the Bears had been seized by Hungarian officials who were apparently frustrated by Grizzly 2's unpaid local debts. Then he received some devastating news. The Bears had been destroyed in a warehouse fire. So any hope of shooting Grizzly 2's action sequences were gone. 
Laura Dern has them on her wall right now. It's like a, a testament to the hard work she's done to be such a badass over the years. Her, Clooney, and Sheen each have one head mounted. Right, or Clooney and his like kids play with it or something. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. So Nagy and Zatz traveled to Los Angeles that winter to show a rough cut of the film to a powerful distributor whose support would guarantee another round of funding. But after watching the rough edit in his Beverly Hills screening room, Nagy said he declared Grizzly 2 a disaster and threw them both out of his home. By the late 80s, Nagy had relocated to the U.S. and she was still trying to complete the film. At one point, she contacted legendary B-movie filmmaker and producer Sam Sherman for help. Upgrading the film, Sherman figured, would cost around half a million dollars. There was no way for Nagy to raise that much money, and by 1990, she'd lost interest in the film altogether. Still, in the years that followed, Nagy and Zatz would occasionally discuss reviving the Grizzly. It just never seemed possible. Flash forward to February 2020. Nagy traveled to LA Live, an entertainment complex in downtown Los Angeles for the Hollywood Real Independent Film Festival. Nagy took her seat inside a small, sparsely attended theater surrounded by friends and curiosity seekers. They were there for an event nearly four decades overdue, the big screen premiere of Grizzly 2. Nagy's return to the world of Grizzly 2 began in 2017 when she decided to write a memoir. She wanted her book to chronicle her time in Hungary, and as she got to work on her memoir, she realized there was one major act still unwritten. She did not finish the Grizzly. In 1990, as a safeguard, she reacquired the rights for $70,000 and placed her own 35mm print of the film in a Manhattan bank where it sat unviewed for years. In 2018, she decided to open up the vault and take another look at Grizzly 2. Nagy bought two books on filmmaking to see how the industry had changed during her time away. So we can all be filmmakers. Let's just buy two books. <laughs> we'll put the link. We'll put the the reference to those two books in our <laughs> episode description. So if you want to become a filmmaker. Or make Grizzly 3. <laughs> or make Grizzly 3. We expect you all to make brilliant movies. And anyways, um, she also licensed recent stock footage of grizzly bears <laughs> i don't know why that's so i know that's really funny to me too and worked with editors create a new movie now titled grizzly 2 revenge oh that's much better so much better uh it's trimmed down from the original leaked version that circulated its way around the internet and the black market uh back in i think the early 2000s and it has a running time of about 75 minutes it reorders the events of the film, so now the big-name stars, Clooney, Dern, and Sheen, open the story, which now plays up the mother bear's loss of her cub. The version of Grizzly 2 that Nagy screened for the festival crowd still needed some final tweaking, she said. It's not great, 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 but it's watchable. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, and for those who worked on the film in 1983, Grizzly 2 provides a never-imagined sense of closure. Among the premiere's attendees was the Predator, the uh, fictitious band from the uh, Beast Festival, uh, actor Kevin Conley. He made his first trip to the United States, sitting in the theater with his wife and daughter, 
quote, I couldn't miss it for the world, he said. It was just amazing. Suzanne's done an incredible job with it. Aww. A few days after the LA live screening, Nagy was already hearing from other festivals inquiring about the availability of Grizzly 2. That same week, the coronavirus began spreading around the U.S. because, of course it did, because this movie can't catch a fucking break. Um, I kind of think the movie might have brought it to the U.S. personally. Oh, that's a good point. It's a <laughs> shitty ass movie. <laughs> Is this now a conspiracy theory podcast? Maybe. Yes. Grizzly 2 is responsible for the coronavirus. Tell your friends. <laughs> um, so yeah, that same week when the coronavirus began spreading across the U.S. and within months, movie theaters would start shutting down across the world and well. Our country, I guess. Here we are today. And the festivals Nagy had hoped to visit would be going dark or going online. But Nagy signed a licensing agreement with distributor Gravitas Ventures and Grizzly 2 will finally arrive on streaming and in a few drive-in theaters beginning this fall after 37 fucking years. Okay, can I just say I'm a little pissed to find out that this has been like online and on the dark web for however many years and I never knew about it and could have gotten to it way sooner. That's a whole other thing we don't want to go into. Apparently... Apparently, Suzanne Nagy was uh, really pissed about that and was, like, threatening people with lawsuits and everything. And Girl, it's the internet. Get with it. It's not 1983 anymore. I know. But I, I can see her frustration. And after the fact that she spent $70,000 of her own money and got screwed over True. so many times that other people might make a profit off of it. I and mean, I'm, whatever. like, one of the biggest proponents of, like, I, I remember um, when the show Battlestar Galactica, the new remade one, was airing, I would download through BitTorrents through back in the day um, to watch that in a cable. And, but I, I would argue, well, because I was able to watch that show that way by downloading it, I, they've made a lot of money off of me because I bought the box sets, I bought, you know, character dolls, like, whatever, Um so I'm not really a proponent of downloading things illegally. Let's just make that clear. But in this case, it kind of sounds like this might be the only way to see the original. Not anymore. Cut. But I, <laughs> yeah. But I hear I get her pain, and it's exciting to see. I guess it's exciting to see that we'll see it after 37 years. Maybe I think it would be hilarious if they made a Grizzly hilarious. three and Sheen and Dern and um, Clooney were all in it. Like it sounds just, like they might be dead. I, well, in the they movie. don't have to reprise their their characters. I just want to see Charlie Sheen kill a grizzly and be like winning. <laughs> they don't have to reprise their characters, and obviously, it's been a long time, so they're not going to look the same. But I just think it would be funny. It would be very, yeah. um, you know, they, they wouldn't be taking themselves too seriously and been like, "Oh, let's just do this for the fun of it." Or they could go the Evil Dead route and just forget the other movie ever even happened and just start fresh. There you go. Good point. But yeah, so that is the story of Grizzly to Revenge. Thank you, Sharon. That was a lot to go through, but it was, I think it was well worth it personally. I enjoyed that. Okay, so if they don't reprise their roles or make a third one, if they ever make a movie about the making of this movie... They those three people need to be in it. Oh, of oh, course, yeah. for sure. They should play themselves. Exactly, but like their sixteen-year-old, twenty-year-old selves. <laughs> like, oh, right, like right, Red right. Hot American Summer. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes, that would be amazing. <laughs> and you know they'd all do it. 
I would hope so. I think they all have a sense of humor about themselves to where they would do it. Totally. All right. Mindy, what is the next tidbit of terror? Actually, this comes to us from our our, uh, honorary horror... (laughs) (laughs) Carrie, Um, this is an article from the Huffington Post titled, I worked on a paranormal reality show, but what I saw off camera really terrified me. Written by Alex Aronson, right? Aronson. Aronson? (laughs) It's the O. Is it Smythe? Fuck you. It's Smith, ma'am. Fuck off. I'm going to say that last. (laughs) Ready? Yes. Written by Alex... Aronson. It's a real tough one, folks. <laughs> I kind of want to leave that in. Okay. Okay. Anyway, Alex booked a gig on a paranormal reality TV show, and I'm still researching to figure out which one. I haven't found it yet. Um, he booked a gig as a reenactment actor back in 2019 and finally had the answer to his question answered. The same question that all fans, including myself, who watch these shows want to know. Is what we're watching real or is it all TV magic? While he didn't mention the name of the show in the article, again, I'm researching, he did say that it was a well-known network for one of television's longest-running paranormal reality TV shows, so we could probably take a few guesses. Uh, He said he was stoked since he had been a fan of these types of shows for a long time. His grandma raised him on a healthy dose of unsolved mysteries, I hear that, and midnight radio, and his childhood home stood on the grounds of a former asylum for the mentally ill, so this guy's going, got it going on, really, uh, thus turning him into a paranormal fanatic. However, he considers himself, himself to be a skeptical believer. For instance, he would never hear a creaking floorboard and just immediately jump to the conclusion that it was caused by some paranormal force. Well, what else would it be? <laughs> right? I mean, come on. At the same <laughs> time, he says, quote, I'm also open to the idea that some things are beyond our comprehension, unquote. On the day of the shoot, Alex said, I drove to where the show was filming in upstate New York. I thought I was headed to a stand-in haunted house or television set, but my GPS directed me down a long gravel driveway flanked by overgrown cattails. As I pulled down the narrow drive, a decrepit farmhouse with patches of aged siding and chipped trim came into view. When I laid eyes on the eerie two-story structure, I thought to myself, wow, what a brilliant production design. But little did I know... This was no set. Production was filming the reenactment segments at the actual house being featured on the show. The real haunted house. He goes on to say, when I arrived, one of the show's producers quickly greeted me and walked me to a tent in the front yard where the cast and crew would camp between takes. There, I met the homeowners, and they shared a bit of the property's rich and deeply disturbing history, as well as a few of their own personal paranormal experiences. Several children supposedly passed away on the property after experiencing various accidents. As if that's not dark enough, (laughs) an expectant mother reportedly hung herself from a tree in the front yard, and an alleged serial killer is said to have once resided in the home, unquote. I mean, Um, seriously, right? I think we need to do some research and try and find this actual I think I need to research harder, yeah, because what the fuck? 
Anyway, nearly a dozen bodies have been unearthed in the backyard alone. <laughs> nearly a dozen bodies alone. <laughs> I just smacked my mic again in enthusiasm. However, it's unknown exactly how many souls claim the surrounding swampland as their final resting place. I mean, you know, could be countless. Speaking of like fuck? real life stories that would make a great movie. I mean, this kind of makes Amityville look like a playground. I'm sorry. Or the Conjuring House. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Anyway, the inhabitants of the house say that they've seen unexplained shadows and heard disembodied voices and even growls. They claim an angry spirit who lives on the second floor of the house has also made his presence abundantly clear. Great. This is where they're filming. Awesome. That's great. That's my own editorial. Sorry, not Alex's. (laughs) To make it even better, here we go. The family's priest, who was present during the filming that day, recalled the time an unseen force assaulted him okay, on the staircase inside the house and left a scratch on his arm. And this is from Alex, because we were filming at the very location where the entity allegedly harmed him, he voiced his concern for the cast and crew who were shooting inside the home. I share the priest's concern. Um, but it was this piece of advice he gave us that sent shivers down my spine, mine being Alex's. Make sure nothing follows you home. He explained that it's common for a spirit to trail someone from a haunted site. Basically, you visited them at their house. So now it's their turn to visit yours. Fuck that. Again, my own own editorial there. Back to Alex. I didn't want to experience that and neither did any of the other cast or crew. The priest claimed that in order to avoid a spirit following you off the premises, you simply had to speak aloud something along the lines of, quote, if there's anything following me, you are not welcome here. Go away, unquote. The tactic apparently worked for him, or at least he said it did. So I figured I'd give it a try when I left. I mean, better safe than sorry, right? My scenes weren't until after lunch. So as everyone else was filming, I wandered outside and decided to explore the barn that was adjacent to the house. As I entered the empty structure, I heard what sounded like someone walking on the tin roof of the barn. I rushed outside to see if there was someone on the roof, but I didn't see anyone. It would have been impossible to climb to the top of the barn without a ladder, and there wasn't one. And besides, everyone else was inside the house shooting a scene. I was spooked, especially considering why I was on the property in the first place. But I also wasn't convinced that what I heard were really footsteps. I returned to the production tent and the homeowners joined me not long afterward. They showed me their spirit box, a piece of ghost hunting equipment that looks similar to a radio. Uh, This is me editorializing. It kind of is a radio. Back to Alex. The spirit box supposedly picks up frequencies that cannot be heard by the human ear, but makes them audible. And some paranormal researchers claim it allows them to communicate with the dead. The homeowners proceeded to ask the box if there were any spirits present. Almost immediately, a robotic voice replied, yes. When they asked the entity to reveal its location, the box said, in the barn. My heart immediately skipped a beat. 
One of the homeowners then told me they believed a, quote, friendly spirit lived in the barn. They called him, quote, Tin Man, (laughs) as he was frequently heard walking on the barn's tin roof. Original. My jaw dropped. The footsteps that I just heard belong to Tin Man? I had no way of being sure, so I decided to just keep it to myself. But before I could even completely process my thoughts, the director told me it was time to get in a costume. I was presented with a mostly black wardrobe consisting of dark jeans, a work shirt, and a fedora, and I quickly changed in my car. I didn't know much about my role or what I'd be doing. I'd only been told that I'd be playing a menacing-looking spirit for the reenactment segments. Yikes. I hadn't received a script ahead of time because I didn't have any lines to memorize, and I was told that my blocking would be explained to me on set. I didn't even know which spirit I was going to be playing, but when I returned to the tent, the homeowners saw my fedora and immediately knew, oh, you're playing him. Him? I asked reluctantly. They told me about the spirit of the man who supposedly occupies the top floor of the house. They claimed he was by far the darkest spirit that resided in the house, and they believed him to be the one who attacked the priest on the stairs. Fantastic. Uh, (laughs) Again, me editorializing. He had also allegedly attacked another visitor at the house by throwing a heavy can of food at his head. Great. I was playing the man who turned out to be the most evil spirit in the house and on his turf, no less. (laughs) After the homeowners revealed this information to me, the rest of the cast and crew came outside for lunch. As we were eating, something caught my eye on the second story of the house. I suddenly noticed a curtain in a window begin to move as if somebody were slowly peeling it back. I immediately thought it was unusual because, as far as I knew, no one was upstairs, and it was a particularly still summer day. I continued to intently watch the curtain when a crew member noticed my gaze. She asked if there was anyone up there, and the director confirmed that everyone was outside. Someone asked if a fan might be running in that room, but due to the silence that's required for filming, all of the fans in the home had been turned off. One of the homeowners noted that it was probably him. And before anyone could say another word, the curtain pulled back, once again, and a ghoulish face stared directly at us. There he is, she said matter-of-factly. She had lived in the home most of her life, so she claimed to have grown up with this sort of activity. And to her, it was almost commonplace. I, on the other hand, was fully trembling at this point. I would be too, Alex. Don't worry. (laughs) The curtain dropped back into place and he was gone as soon as he appeared. I couldn't believe what I had just witnessed. I just saw a ghost. Or at least what I believed to be a ghost. And he appeared to be watching me. My pulse was racing. The entity was only in view for a second. And you would have had to focus on the window at the right moment to see it. But I was certain someone had been looking out that window. I couldn't take my eyes off the spot where I had just seen his face. Several other people present also claimed to have seen him or something in the window. And the homeowner seemed almost a little excited that he decided to make a quick cameo. I was less enthused. Hey, evil fedora man, what's up? (laughs) 
you're going to play me in a second. What's up? I immediately tried to find a way to explain away what I'd seen. I wondered if it could have been a reflection of some sort, but the outline was so distinct and the curtain movement was very obvious. It had all happened in a way that made it difficult to rationalize or discredit. I knew that I was filming at least some of my scenes in the house, and after hearing all the stories and having experienced what I had just experienced, I really didn't want to go inside. But I had already signed a contract, everyone was ready to shoot, and I didn't feel I could back out at that point. Plus, the crew had been filming inside all morning and nothing happened to any of them, so I hoped I'd be okay. The director, who didn't see the man in the window or have much time to entertain the sighting, began to organize the crew to shoot my upcoming scene. Before I knew it, it was time to head inside. My stomach began to churn as I entered the house for the first time. Old photos lined the wood-paneled walls. The temperature was scorching and the production lights didn't help with the heat either. Even though it was a bright and sunny day outside, inside, the inside was eerily dark. I slowly walked up the stairs and into the second floor loft where I immediately locked my eyes on the curtain I had seen him or something peering through moments before. As the director and the camera crew reviewed the storyboards, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. A creepy doll sat in the corner because of course it always does. (laughs) And I couldn't tell what belonged in the house and what was a prop lugged in by the crew to set the scene as it turns out everything was original to the home and I felt seriously uneasy in that second floor room we spent what seemed like hours upstairs but we only filmed one scene the rest of my scenes were in other parts of the house and outside needless to say I was happy when we were finished filming upstairs and I could finally leave that room When the director called my rap, I immediately hopped in my car and left. Remembering the priest's advice, I spoke aloud, quote, if there's anything following me home, you're not welcome, unquote, as I pulled away from the property. I wasn't convinced it would do anything or that there was even anything that needed to be done, but I definitely didn't want to wake up and find him standing at the foot of my bed. No joke. Driving home late at night, I found myself continuously checking my rearview mirror to ensure that there was nothing or no one in my back seat. My mind raced as I replayed what happened in the barn and what I saw in the second floor window, and I was legitimately spooked by what I had experienced that day. Some might think that my experience would deter me from considering any more paranormal adventures, but... If anything, that day only added fuel to my curiosity about the supernatural. As freaked out as I was, I'm now equally, if not more, intrigued. Before doing the project, I always wondered if the, quote, real haunted houses in these reality shows were actually real. What I've learned is that experience can truly shape perspective. Was it the environment I interacted with? And the stories I was told while filming that caused me to hear and see certain things? Maybe. But after my day at that house, I believe what I experience cannot easily be debunked. Still, what makes so many of these shows and these kinds of experiences in general so frustrating is that there's no smoking gun that ever fully proves the existence of the paranormal. Totally true, Alex. I hear you. 
back to Alex. I find myself replaying that day over and over in hopes of finding a way to explain away what happened or maybe to finally and truly convince myself that I really did see a ghost that day. I completely understand if other people don't believe in the supernatural. And I'm sure some people reading or listening to this are already looking for ways to punch holes in my story. And that's completely okay. It's hard for even me to believe. And I was there. Ultimately, I hope people can agree to keep an open mind because there's so much in this world and beyond it that we can't explain And until we can, I'm going to keep wondering and keep looking for explanations wherever and whenever I can find them. I agree. I think it's all about keeping an open mind. And in his situation, he knew nothing about the Tin Man when he experienced that. Totally. And then the homeowners confirmed it. And then also he saw the man in the window and also the homeowner saw it as well. So when I think if more than one person sees or hears or experiences something at the same time as you, I, I don't think you can easily write it off as, you know, my mind was playing tricks on me or, and I'm so wanting to believe in all this that it's usually my first reaction. Like it's a ghost. Like I was kidding earlier when I was like the the floor is creaking like obviously it's a ghost I mean that happens all the time around here if I hear a noise or or whatever I'm like Spencer we've got a ghost (laughs) but it's it's kind of true I just you know I'm I'm like so open to that and just really want to believe it because I experienced so much in my past yeah and not so much anymore but I'm like I, I still want to experience that Well, and I mean, I was joking earlier before we were recording, but I have a few like quote unquote tools on my cell phone that are supposed to be like ghost hunting tools, but they're like, you know, the free whatevers, but they are ones that have like electromagnetic detector kind of stuff that is legit because that energy exists. But is there an electromagnetic detector in your phone? (laughs) It uses, it uses the, um, the what is it the compass the balance that the compass uses Uh, so and it works like if I like go up to smidgen my cat and like hold my phone next to him it's nothing if I go up to my tv it registers a little bit uh, and so that so that alone I'm like okay so that's energy and when we die what the fuck happens to the energy that inhabits us? Well, exactly. And that's why... I'm not saying I'm finding ghosts in my apartment. My apartment's <laughs> not... It makes a lot of noise, but it's not haunted. I know that much. But like... There are so many ghosts in your TV. It's crazy. <laughs> um, no, I get it. And it, when you say par- the paranormal, it doesn't necessarily mean ghosts. It, yes. it's, it's energy. There, There's... Um, what, did we talk about this in a past episode um, maybe we talked about it with Carrie, honestly, um, about, uh, oh yeah, I think she said that she had a friend who was living somewhere and it wasn't necessarily that she experienced any, uh, you know, seeing any ghosts, but yes. it was, there was just like an energy in the house that she moved into. And even when we, um, talked in the past to, um, our guest Tatiana, who like her and her yeah. family, they've experienced so many different types of um, paranormal occurrences um, and they can pick up on energies of people or things or places. So no, you're totally right because 
energy cannot be created nor destroyed. So where does that energy go? And right. there's, I believe that there's very strongly positive energy in the world and negative energy in the world. And if you're sensitive to that, you can definitely feel that negative energy and it may feel like a ghost or an entity, uh, does not necessarily mean that 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 is what it is but I totally think that trust your instincts is the moral of the story exactly so speaking of trusting your instincts and ghost stuff um and the paranormal the travel channel is uh starting I think this is a new thing that they're doing with the shock doc phrase but they are revisiting some of their most infamous horror stories under a new umbrella series called shock docs I like to say that shock docs Um, and their first episode, uh, which just aired as of this recording is like a few days ago on Labor Day. Thank you. Yes. You know, that holiday that just passed. Um, Their first uh, episode was all about everyone's favorite demonologist and clairvoyant couple ed and lorraine warren uh the episode you should be able to get it on demand but it's titled devil's road uh the true story of ed and lorraine warren uh sharon and i both watched it uh i personally thought that it was astounding how a documentary about a demonologist and his clairvoyant wife could be so fucking utterly boring. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I dozed off during parts. I will say, though, if you don't know much about like their specific history, it's not a bad watch. Um, they did talk about how Ed and Lorraine got married super, super, super young while he was still in the service, which I didn't know. I think everyone back then got married super young. To be fair, yes. As, as um, Spencer's own grandmother Aww. used to tell us she got married when she was how old 18 19 so was Lorraine because she wanted to do it (laughs) well and Lorraine uh, uh, they talked about how Ed survived that horrible harbor fire crash uh, off the shores of New York and came home got married it was like Lorraine let's get married and then they had like a two-day honeymoon he went back to the war and then Lo and behold, she was preggers. Mount Chigawawa. Right? <laughs> um, so and they did, thankfully, I, I feel, present the real life story of what happened during the events that inspired the film The Conjuring, truthfully, not the way Hollywood did, um, which I was really glad about because I know that that family has had some grief over the fact that uh, Hollywood took we'll say a few liberties with that story, but it's as interesting. The real story is as interesting as the film. Um, Fun fact, Ed and Lorraine's daughter, Judy is obviously now grown up. Um, And I know we weren't going to talk about Judy. (laughs) That's a Twin Peaks reference. Um, But boy, does she look like her mom. Oh my God. I thought it was adorable, but she's like what in her 50s or 60s now oh god yeah probably at least in her 60s lorraine was 92 when she passed which uh-huh. i didn't realize that's she, she could actually old lady she might even be close to her 70s because yeah. she but she was god, uh, she looks just like her mother it's adorable and her her husband tony spira is now keeping the legacy of ed and lorraine alive by running the haunted museum and um i think taking over a lot of their paranormal investigation kind of stuff Um, A fun side note was that uh, Judy mentioned that she never looks at the Annabelle doll in the Paranormal Museum. She says that her mom, Lorraine, told her never to look Annabelle in the eye. 
So Judy says that even like if she goes into the museum, she doesn't even look in the doll's direction. She says that she has a heavy feeling in the museum when she goes in there. So she rarely even goes in, which I found to be super creaky. 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 Like the floors. (laughs) Super creepy. Uh, Future episodes of Shock Docs. I just love that. Slated for later this fall, we'll delve into the true life hauntings of the Amneville Horror House, uh, the exorcism of Roland Doe, which I think that that is Boy Doe as in the real exorcist, Mm. because that's how he's referred to. Okay. The boy that supposedly the exorcist haunting actually happened to, which we should do a story on because... I have a very distinct idea about what happened and it has nothing to do with demons, but that's for another tale for another day. Um, same thing with Amneville. That's like a whole other ball of wax that maybe we should cover at a later date. But regardless, keep an eye out for future shock docs. Cause I think there, it'll be fun to kind of see what travel channel. Hopefully the rest will be more exciting than the, uh, dude, I'm sorry. I was like, for real, like they're scary. They're, they've got great scary stories and this is what you're showing us. But yeah. I would say like maybe 20 minutes in, I was like, how long is this? And that's bad news when you're checking the time that quick. Oh yeah. Um, some of the other upcoming movies and shows for the Halloween season, which officially started September 1st in my book. Or all year round for us. Well, yeah, but like, <laughs> it's kind of hard during a really, really hot summer in Chicago to be like, yeah, Halloween, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it, it started cooling down here, luckily, the first week of September. So this last week it's been actually really cool and rainy so I've been like kind of really feeling it so since we're already talking about the travel channel I have to mention that Ghosttober is starting October 1st so for 31 days they're going to be showing tons of spooky paranormal shows and specials including a special four-hour live ghost hunt in one of America's most haunted cities Salem Massachusetts an event that will bring together some of your favorite ghost hunters to investigate three historic locations with ties to the Salem Witch Trials, which premieres live Friday, October 4th at 8, 7 central. As a professional watcher of these shows, all of the shows we're about to mention are not so much scary as they are fun. But if you like ghost hunting shows or reenactments, Ghostober is for you. Most Terrifying Places, another show that's a favorite of mine, uncovers, get it, their most horrifying haunts. Um, From the restless dead lurking in gilded theaters to cursed ships inhabited by skeletal crews, each episode explores Earth's gravest locations. Uh, The new episodes premiere Tuesday, October 1st at 10, 9 central. The Holzer Files premieres Thursday, October 3rd at 10, 9 central. A dedicated paranormal team led by investigator Dave Schrader, psychic medium Cindy Kaza, and equipment technician Shane Pittman investigate terrifying true hauntings from the recently discovered case files of America's ghost hunter, Dr. Hans Holzer, which you watched the original Holzer Files, right, Mindy? Season one, and I have to say that the daughter of Hans Holzer works with this team um I don't know how I feel about the show necessarily but what I do find really really interesting is that she has only let this team have access to these hidden files which is pretty cool and they're pretty legit like they don't 
get like all like some of the ghost <laughs> shows like they're cool and they're pretty level-headed yeah I, I I give that two thumbs up um one of my personal favorites my horror story premieres Monday October 21st at 11 10 central uh ordinary people share their chilling true tales of surviving the unknown from hellish possessions and blood drawing spirits to alien abductions and otherworldly creatures this is mostly a reenactment show but it's so fucking fun to watch i love it so i have not watched this is this similar it sounds kind of similar to a haunting very much okay but it's still good they're all kind of the same show but they're all kind of awesome I in my really, really, really liked A Haunting mm-hmm. until they got super CGI with their ghosts. And then I stopped watching it because it became way less scary when that happened. I'm trying to think. I feel like this one does get a little CGI-ish, but it's still fun. Okay. I still think it's fun. All right. I'm going to have to check it out. Um, this one is what I'm actually looking forward to the most. So Ghost Adventure Serial Killer Spirits premieres Saturday, October 5th at 9, 8 central. It's a four-part miniseries with Zach Baggins, Aaron Goodwin, Billy Tolley, and Jay Wasley. I've been trying to get Sharon to watch this team for ah. fucking years. Ah. I'm throwing that in there. Anyway, go ahead. The only reason I would watch this, though, is because it involves serial killers. Because I honestly am not into these ghost hunting shows because I just feel like it's all fucking BS. But um, the team embarks on a terrifying cross-country journey to document if evil energy lingers within the infamous locations associated with America's most notorious serial killers. They will retrace many serial killer steps, revisit known hangouts, and speak with leading experts to gain insight on why these sociopaths committed their evil acts. They will investigate locations such as killer clown John Wayne Gacy's prison cell, H.H. Holmes' murder house, which I think is a post office now, um, and the squirrel cage jail, which housed the vicious Jake Bird. The crew will also study the Anson Call House, an abandoned building that many believe has ties to Ted Bundy's terror spree during the 1970s yeah there's also a lot of other stuff that we're not going to mention that's going to be on ghost tober on the travel channel so check that out if paranormal is your thing which Um, i'm assuming it might be if you're listening to this probably um what mindy and i i think are most excited about Uh, This October is The Haunting of Bly Manor, written and directed by the brilliant Mike Flanagan. And Henry James, to be fair, but... Did he help write it? Well, it's based on the turn of the screw. Oh, sorry. When you said, I just heard Henry and was thinking Henry Thomas. Don't talk about my man. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yes. Uh, Henry James, the writer of Turning of the Screw. It's been done before. The Innocents. Uh, the Turning, there's lots of movies based on that novella. But this is going to be Mike Flanagan's take on it. So we're expecting lots of twists and turns the same way he did with The Haunting of Hill House. The trailer looks freaking gorgeous. I have not watched the trailer because I don't want to know anything about this. It was a, it was the early release, just quick like clips trailer that I watched mm. and visually it okay. looks stunning. I didn't, yeah, I didn't because even watch that. What do I, what else do we expect from Mike Flanagan? But it is the next installment in the horror anthology that began with The Haunting of Hill House, one of our personal favorites, mm-hmm. uh, which you know if you listen to this show regularly. 
Um, and it's about a young nanny who gets a job caring for two orphaned children at an old British manor house, but she soon begins hearing voices that may or may not be the spirits of two mysteriously gone former employees of the household. Uh, if you want to prep for this, there is a movie from the 60s starring Deborah Kerr called The Innocence, which is a very well done film based on this same novella and very well done and very spooky. October 9th, by the way, is that one. I don't know if you guys said that. I think oh. we did, but just let's drive that home again. October 9th, Bly Manor, watch it. Netflix, do it. I think I did forget to say that though. So thank you, Spencer. I just have a really quick plug. I recently saw something and for anyone who's ever had extreme anxiety, depression, or even panic disorder, first of all, welcome. You're among friends here. But more importantly, please see... Amy Simon's brilliant film, She Dies Tomorrow. Impossibly, Amy cinematically recreates the exact experience of how I feel when I'm having a panic attack, all while never forgetting the utter absurdity and humor of that exact experience. It's pure genius. That's just a small part of this stunning, stunning film that will haunt you in unexpected ways long after the credits roll. And it's oddly pandemic appropriate. Um, it's on VOD right now. She's, she dies tomorrow. Watch it. It's not what you're expecting, but it's beautiful. And support this amazing actress and director because her work is the shit. I think I'm going to watch that tonight because I need something new to watch. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, as always, thank you for listening to us. My gosh, please rate and review us on whatever streaming platform you listen to us on. It helps us to get more exposure. It's free. Hey, and it only takes a few minutes. So there you go. Uh, if you're able to, please join our Patreon if you want to have early access to episodes, see exclusive posts, and maybe get some cool shit. Maybe. You can follow us at Horrors Talk Horror on Instagram. Uh, and you can find the link to our Patreon on our um, Instagram bio. And also, as we mentioned in the last episode, anyone who becomes a patron at any level uh, by October 1st, they will receive a trick or treat of our choosing, which we will send to you via snail mail, but they will all be treats because <laughs> Spoiler alert. we love you and we don't want to send you garbage or junk in the mail. So no flaming dog shit. That's <laughs> and also if you have any of your own ghost stories that you want to share with us, if you've ever been an actor, a reenactment actor on a show like The Haunting or Ghost Adventures or... Wait, they don't have Rhiannon. Like no, Ghost Adventures, but A Haunting or a Paranormal Survivor. Okay, there you go. I know them all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nerd. <laughs> um, or if you have any stories about being attacked by an 18-foot grizzly bear. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and survived, hopefully. If you did not survive, um, you're not listening to this right now. Or so. write us telepathically or if you know anyone who was attacked by an 18 foot grizzly bear and did not survive um or if you know leonardo dicaprio no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) i'll stop with the grizzly bear references (laughs) but you can always email us your stories um whatever they are creepy scary true crime 
paranormal at whorestalkhorror at gmail.com. Please be kind to each other. Be safe. Election is almost here. Please fucking vote. It's so fucking important. Uh, I think you know who we want you to vote for. (laughs) But just, just vote. Vote your values. Think to yourself, but this isn't for me. This is for us. How will this affect all of us? Everyone on this planet. Yes, because we only have one, motherfuckers. Yeah. And as always, thanks thanks for getting creepy with us. Sharon, you want a beer? Uh, Oh, my God.